Tonight's reading is from John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, last week I was doing some uh, studying for a a class that I'm co-teaching on racial reconciliation for the fellows. And I was reading a a book about the the history of early Christianity in Africa. And, you know, for a lot of us, the narrative is that the gospel went to deepest, darkest Africa when European missionaries took it there in the 1700s and and brought light to uh, the dark continent. I actually heard that said once. Now, the truth is, Africa actually brought Christianity to Europe. 
in uh, the first 500 years of the church. And that's what this little lecture I'm working on is about. And it's fascinating. The birth of the monastic movement was in North Africa. It was in Egypt. And as these people abided in Christ together, the Holy Spirit fell on them and sent them to Europe as apostles, as missionaries. That's just such a beautiful picture that the the European uh, peoples were evangelized by African missionaries. And as I looked at the map of how that had happened, I was reminded of our Lenten series here that abiding and going is the essence of of the Christian life. Uh, We are an urban monastery. We seek the peace of the city by offering a school for Christ and extending hospitality to guests. And we can talk about our, our mission as abiding and going. We gather together to help each other abide in Christ and we then go into the city to seek her peace. And if we could put that slide up there that I've been showing you, and this is on the back of your bulletin as well. Uh, This wonderful summary of the Christian life given by the Lord on the last night of his earthly life lays out this beautiful balance between abiding and going and bear fruit, between going deep within in Christ and moving out in mission into the world. It's, It's a beautiful, beautiful balance and picture. And we have been slowly reflecting on our Lord's abide and go teaching this Lent. And tonight I want to focus on a few verses right in the middle, beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Uh, and the, the, the text is on the back of your bulletin if you need that, because um, I'm sure you can't read that if you're over 50. Um, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Now, uh, on the first reading of this, at the first hearing of this, it can sound a little bit like bad parenting. uh, Where Jesus says to his children, look guys, uh, you need to obey me. If you obey me, I'll love you. If not, a luck. Which is not the way that any loving parent would treat uh, a child. If you love me, if you obey me, I'll love you. If you don't, I won't. Clearly our Lord is not a bad parent. Clearly his love is not conditional. So let's work a little harder at this and try to understand. I'm particularly interested in this phrase, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, what does that mean? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Well, what I'd like to do is go to a couple other places in this sermon, which is given on the last night of Christ's earthly life, at the Last Supper, preparing the disciples for what's going to happen after Easter. I want to look look at how he uses the word uh, commandment. Uh, And so... If you have a Bible, we're going to John 12, 49. If you don't, I'll just read it. Jesus says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. So Jesus, first of all, is not sharing anything that doesn't come from the Father. Everything he shares from the Father comes, or everything he shares in his teaching comes from the Father, and it brings us eternal life. Now, 
John 13, the, the, the last evening starts, the supper begins, he washes the disciples' feet on Thursday evening. And by the way, that's the, uh, the historical precedent for the Thursday evening Tenebrae service. And then after he washes their feet, he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So he says, I'm giving a new commandment. There's something new going on here, disciples, that I want you to pay attention to. Now, what would that have meant to them as Jews? That's, a, that's an interesting question because the Old Testament did say, love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, it said, yeah, it does say that. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. So why would Jesus be saying, I'm giving you a new commandment, love one another? Well, what's new about it is the cross. What's new is the model of self-sacrificial love displayed in the cross. Now they can see the love of God in Christ on the cross, which he's just demonstrated for them in washing their feet. So there's a new model. But something else is new. And let's go to John 14, 15 to 18. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we have a new model in the cross. We have a new power in the Holy Spirit because the Christian will now live in a new way, a new relationship with the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. Now notice that Jesus uses the word command with interchangeably with the word word. My words, my commands. He uses them the same way. So do you see what's happening here? Do you see how we're shifting from the Old Covenant? In the Old Covenant, where was the law? It was written on stone. In the New Covenant, it's written on our hearts by the Spirit. It is the words of the living Christ spoken to you by the Holy Spirit. That's what he means by commandments. Now what's the the purpose of it? John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The, The ethic of the kingdom of God is love. Now put all this together, what do we have? The commandments of Jesus. This means that as we abide in Jesus... He speaks words to us about how to love. When we respond to his guidance and love, as he calls us to love, we experience his love and his joy. When we abide in his love, we then are shown how to move into the world in love. When we draw near to the source of love, we more clearly discern how to love others. When we are inflamed by the fire of love, We ignite those around us with divine love. When we put our heart to his loving chest, we hear his heartbeat, and he shows us where we are to love the world. 
Now, I'd like to just tease out three implications of, of this. First is, the ethic of the kingdom of God is love. It's the heart of everything. The ethic of the kingdom of God is, is love. Now, I, I talk to a lot of people who struggle with Christianity. We talk about that. And that's part of our mission as a church, I think, is to be a safe place where you can come with your struggles and ask questions. And one of the biggest questions is, but God, particularly in the Old Testament, often seems not loving. And there's a lot of examples of that, the going into Palestine, and God says, kill the people who live there already. And there's all these issues like that in the Old Testament. And you look at it and you go, how can that be with a God of love? Well, how do you read a passage like that? You read it through the lens of Jesus, who says that it's about love. Now, in seminary, they call this a Christocentric hermeneutic. A hermeneutic means the principles by which we study Scripture. We study Scripture through Christ. You read the Old Testament through Christ. Is all Scripture inspired? I believe it is. Is Scripture progressively revealed? I believe it is. I believe that in the early, early days, they respond to the revelation that they had, but God revealed himself most fully through his son, John 1, 1 to 14, which means that Jesus is the means by which we read Scripture. Love is the ethic of Scripture. And if any Christian teaching contradicts the ethic of love, it can't be Christian teaching. If any interpretation does not encourage self-sacrificial love, covenantal faithfulness and partnership, it cannot be Christian teaching. The ethic of the kingdom is love. Second observation, the source of love is love. The source of love is love. Sometimes we struggle to love. We struggle to forgive. We struggle to stay faithful to our promises. We struggle to care for people. We struggle with our commitments to racial reconciliation or our work with refugees or our mentoring or, or even loving the broken people in our church. We get tired. We get cynical. We want to quit. How do you keep loving How do you keep loving? TED Talks. <laughs> They're great. Books, great. Sermons, depends. <laughs> There's lots of things we can do to think about love. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, not enough. it's not enough. The ultimate source of love is love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves us. We abide in the Son's love. We love one another as He's loved us. And when we know His love deeply and give His love deeply, we experience deep joy. The source of love is love. If you're running out of love, go back to the source of love. If you're weary and tired and cynical and bitter and struggling to forgive and the people in your family or church are driving you absolutely crazy, yes, listen to a podcast. Then go back to the source of love. When we first started All Souls, um, a young Johnson University student named Chris began attending, and he was just a marvelous young guy. He got involved on our worship team, met his wife. uh, They got married. Um, And I just remember him as this faithful, earnest, young Christian. I knew he was going to be a a leader, a good leader in the church. And I I remember at that time, he was just, books were everything to him. He's always had this big pack. 
back and he'd come early and he'd be reading some theological tome. And he, at the, the last time I saw him, we had this great talk about Pauline theology of the atonement and all this stuff. And I just thought, wow, this guy's smart. And he's really young. Um, well, he moved away 10, 11 years ago. I lost touch with him. And then he emailed me about a month ago. He said, Doug, I'm married now. I have a little girl. I'm coming through. I'd love to, to, to meet you. And we met Friday. Man, he came by my office. And I immediately noticed something different. Something really different. And I'd always loved and respected him, but something was different. And I said, tell me your story. And he said he had a, a very serious car accident in 2014. It left him with a traumatic brain injury and uh, two spinal surgeries and chronic pain he'll have the rest of his life. Put him in bed for months, right when his wife was giving birth to their little girl. He became depressed and despaired of life. And during this prolonged dark night of the soul, he discovered a a program in spiritual direction at the Moody Bible Institute. He enrolled and six times went up to retreats in Chicago. And as he sat under the teaching experienced the love of some of his pastors, uh, God saved his life and changed him. And I said, what, what was it? What, what happened? What? He said, uh, I realized Christ loved me. I realized Christ loved me. Now he works at a church in Indianapolis. He's a spiritual director. I believe because of his accident, he can't work full-time anymore. Maybe he never will. And I said, how much pain are you in? And he said, I'll be in pain the rest of my life. And I said, how are you handling that? And he just said, prayer. And he talked to me. He called it his contemplative practice. He talked about a life that really revolved around abiding in love through prayer. Uh, just a lot of time spent with the Father, sitting with the Father in prayer. And I realized, as Chris shared his story, that I was experiencing in Christ, in Chris, what Jesus talks about in this text. This young 35-year-old seemed more like a 55-year-old than He was abiding in love. And now he has a profound ministry of love. And he has deep joy. Actually, one of the most joyful people I've been with in a long time. And he carries a pack to monitor the pain that constantly throbs through his neck. Love is the source of love. Third observation, last one. To pray is to love. To pray is to love. We can think about prayer in many ways. Prayer is making our needs known to God. It's a a form of meditation of becoming still and centered in God's presence. But for Christians, the deepest meaning of prayer is love. God is love. The Father, Son, and the Spirit exist in a house of love. When we abide in him, make our home in him, dwell in him, remain in the house of love, 
we become awake to the commands of love, the Son's words of love, those commands guide us in fulfilling the new commandment, loving one another. See, when we pray, we're entering the dance of the Trinity and opening ourselves to divine love. When we pray, we're being sent by the Trinity out into the world so that we might love others. Prayer is how we abide in his love. Well, this Lent, I've been experimenting with different forms of prayer. And and normally, I I devote a lot of time to intercession. I have a card in my wallet with all sorts of things on it, and I go through it and I pray. But I've changed that a little bit this Lent. Um, I take the passage that I'm working on for the sermon. I pick a word or phrase from the passage, and I meditate on it. And a lot of times this Lent, it's just been abide or abide and go. And I, I set my, if I have time, I set my phone for 20 minutes. Um, I sit in a comfortable but not too comfortable chair. Uh, I breathe in the word abide and I breathe out the word go or whatever it is. And at first I got so frustrated because every time I'd sit down, all these people would come to mind. And I, I thought, Lord, what is I'm trying to pray here and be in your deep stillness? What are all these people messing up my prayer life for? And then it occurred to me, maybe he's bringing them to mind because you're supposed to pray for them. Shocker. There you go. There's two seminary degrees for you. So I take this piece of paper out, and every time a name comes up, I, I write the name down, and then I try to follow up, follow up after. So another thing I'm doing during Lent is I'm, uh, when somebody cancels, and this is not encouragement to cancel, but a lot of you are canceling, which means I'm praying a lot this Lent. Uh, I take the hour and I pray. And so I had this meeting scheduled at my house last Tuesday, or for whatever reason, uh, nobody came. Um, and um, and I, I thought, well, great, I'll go watch the news. And then, then uh, the Spirit said, remember our deal? Canceled meeting, you pray. I said, oh, all right. I don't know how the world is going to turn without me watching the news, but I decided I'd let it go. So I said, all right, I'm going to do a little experiment. I took out my pad, and I said, for 20 minutes, I'm going to do this for 60, you know, set the timer, and I'm going to write down every name that comes up, and then I'm going to draw a line to the next name and see what's on the paper after an hour. <laughs> it was fun. And after an hour, I had prayed all over the world and all over you and all over my family and all over the city and into Washington. And it was just a divine adventure. It was so fun. And I never used my list once. And it reminded me of Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness For we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And I think what's happening is, as I abide in his love through prayer, he is giving me commandments, he's giving me words, teaching me who and how to love. And there's something else that's a little more troubling about it too. He's also exposing my failures to love. He's showing me where I'm holding bitterness. He's showing me where what I think is love is actually self-centeredness. It's all part of it. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves Him, gives Himself for us, drawing us into the circle of love that is the Trinity. When we abide in this love, make our home in this love, find our center in this love, define ourselves by this love, the Spirit guides us in loving others well, and this gives us great joy. And that, my friends, is Christianity. 
And St. Augustine was one of the greatest theologians of the first five centuries. Um, He came from North Africa. He was African. And it's interesting, by the way, when you study pictures, uh, he, he was probably black. And when you study pictures on the internet, uh, for the last thousand years, he's been white. Um, funny how that worked. But uh, he was from Africa. And he lived in a monastic community in North Africa. And then he was called, after abiding in that community, to go to Milan, Italy, and preach the gospel to Europeans. Abide and go. Let's pray.